1: Hey everybody, this is Brad Gilmore from Back to the Future, the podcast, letting you know that this show you're about to listen to was recorded in the past without the future knowledge and technology that we have now. So we've gone back and tried to remaster the quality of this episode to the best that we can. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this edition of Back to the Future, the podcast. Oh, Brian, boy, oh boy, oh boy you done now? This, this is Back to, is to the, the Future, future of the podcast, podcast presented, presented by the Brad Gilmore the Show, show.
3: My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, they're gonna see some serious shit. Are you telling me that you built a time
2: machine? One oh, point twenty one seconds. I can Hello?
0: Hello? Anybody home? Hey, this is my Marty! you got to come back with me. Where?
3: Back
1: to the future! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Brad Gilmore Show on Demand, and also welcome to Back to the Future, the podcast. For the next few weeks on the Brad Gilmore Show on Demand, and for the foreseeable future on Back to the Future podcast, we're going to be talking about my favorite film trilogy of all time, and yes, it is my favorite trilogy of all time. Back to the Future, parts one, two, and three. We're going to be dissecting these movies in full, and we will also be having amazing special guest interviews from people who are in the movie Back to the Future, from people who have projects that have spawned off of Back to the Future, um, people who uh, were you know, producers on Back to the Future. I mean, anybody involved with this series over time, time, <laughs> will be involved uh, or, or be spoken to, I should say, on this podcast. Um, it's 30 years since the release, almost 30 years, almost to the day of the release of Back to the Future, the original movie, um, in uh, 1985. I believe it was actually July 3rd, 1985, um, 4th of July weekend, Back to the Future opened, and it was a little movie. Um, produced by Steven Spielberg, written by Bob Gale and Bob Zemeckis, directed by Robert Zemeckis. And a lot of people didn't know what to expect. Um, You had Michael J. Fox, who was a huge star at the time, um, from Family Ties, a massively popular um, television series back in the 1980s. And you had Doc Brown, portrayed by Christopher Lloyd, who um, at the time was a uh, a theater actor who also did movies um, such as Clue the Movie at that time and and, and other kind of cult favorites, um, Suburban Commando um, with Hulk Hogan and, and others. And, the, you know, there wasn't a lot known about this movie and how it was going to do. But it ended up being the most popular movie of that year and the most popular series, I will say, of of the uh, 1980s in my opinion it's really interesting to me of how this movie even came about um, the original concept of back to the future you know when you when you sit it back and and you look at the movie a lot of people write it off as just a time travel movie or an 80s comedy um, with with a time machine kind of as the plot device that makes everything go but really the root of this movie is is a really awesome idea and it's it's we kind of all think about it um, because we all wonder, you know, what were our parents like when they were our age, when, um, when they were children, when they were, when they were high school age? Um, what, what were they like? Were they cool? Were they nerdy? Were they fat? Were they ugly? Did all the girls like my dad? Did all the guys love my mom? You know, did they all hate my parents? You know, were they good students? <laughs> did they get along with their parents? And there are questions that we always all ask ourselves you know kind of when you're growing up and it's almost foreign concept to think that your dad used to be your age. It's a really foreign concept and Bob Gale, one of the producers of the movie and co-writer, he went home one day and was visiting his parents and he was upstairs in his parents uh, attic and he was going through some of his old things that he found up there and he found his dad's old yearbook. And he was flipping through the yearbook, and he found out that his father was the president of his graduating class. Very interesting fact that he did not know about his dad. And ended up, he started pondering and like, Huh, I wonder if if my dad and I would have gotten along because the president of my graduating class was a douchebag. He was a real hole, And he thought, he just thought to himself that he'd never be friends um with his dad because he kinda equated him to the a-hole that was the president of his graduating class. So it was interesting. And then, you know, he kinda told the story to Robert Zemeckis and then they formed this whole idea of back to the future. You know, what if you could go back in time and go to high school with your parents? and you find out that your dad's like the nerdiest kid in school and has the kick me signs on his taped on his back and and then you find out that you know your mom was the school slut <laughs> essentially you find out that your mom's a real horn dog <laughs> and, and is swapping cooties with everybody and that was kind of the um, the uh, general idea the, the germ that was planted that that grew into this whole uh, series So Bob Gale told Bob Zemeckis this idea that he had, and the two of them wanted to do a time travel movie for some time now, and they were trying to figure out what the perfect catalyst, what the perfect idea was to make the story work, and they felt like this was the right idea. So they went over to Columbia Pictures, and they pitched the idea to Columbia. They loved it. So they commissioned um, the Bobs to write two scripts for Back to the Future. Both of the Bobs said that this was a really excruciating process and was really difficult to write the screenplay. Um, it was very complicated and convoluted. Um, so they used the note card method, which I found really interesting. And essentially what the note card method is, is you come up with an idea, something you want in the movie. For instance, they had the idea they wanted Marty McFly to invent rock and roll. And Marty being the protagonist, the main character, And which we'll get to all the characters here in a minute. But... um. They wanted Marty to invent rock and roll. So what you do is you write, Marty invents rock and roll in a note card, and you put it on the board. Well, for, in order for him to invent rock and roll, you got to establish that Marty McFly plays rock and roll. So now you have a matching note card at the beginning of the story to establish that he plays rock and roll. So that's essentially how it works. So that's how they wrote the, uh, the script. But as taxing as writing the Back to the Future script was for these two and how um difficult it was kind of planning out the future and the past and, and dealing with the space-time continuum and how to go through space and all that, once they had that done, it was finished. So the really extremely difficult part was getting a studio to back this movie. After they were commissioned to write the script and, and they did the first couple drafts of Back to the Future, the movie, Columbia Pictures kind of decided it wasn't for them reason being is at the time you got to think about in 1980s the uh the big comedies were these raunchy teen comedies uh the fast times at Ridgemont High kind of style real uh real sex kind of driven drug culture drug jokes you know like not drugs but like you know the marijuana jokes you know the the like the sex driven kind of comedy <laughs> I don't know how else to put it that's what they were driven by at the time that's what all the studios wanted. So every studio told uh Gail and Zemeckis they're like, "You know, you know who you should take it to. Who would love this project? Who would be perfect for?" That's Disney. Take it to Disney. Disney would love it, right? So they uh, they're like, "You know what? Let's take it to Disney. You know, let's try to get this thing made. Let's take it over to Disney." Disney uh, they sit down with Disney execs and they're like, "Are you crazy?" <laughs> We can't produce this movie. There's an Oedipal complex between the son and the mother, and he kisses the mom, and then the mom almost kind of gets physically abused by this Biff guy. I mean, are you nuts? (laughs) Disney's about family movies, and this isn't a family comedy. So they were kind of stuck in a purgatory, if you think about it. They weren't raunchy enough, and they weren't uh, edgy enough for all the other studios, but they were... Too edgy for Disney. They weren't family enough. Uh, so it was a really uh, interesting conundrum they were in. But persistence pays, of course, as we all know. And after Bob Zemeckis went and did a film, Romancing the Stone, which everybody loved, and it was a real box office hit um, at the time, then kind of projects opened for him because now all the studios are like, oh, wow, this guy can actually make some money. You know what I mean? He's a, he's a talent. And so... um. Universal Pictures decided that they would produce this movie and also Bob Zemeckis and Bob Gale went and uh, talked to Steven Spielberg, who they approached originally about uh, producing Back to the Future because they wrote uh, 1941 and Steven Spielberg actually helped them produce, used cars, he was executive producer on the film. So they approached him originally about being a part of Back to the Future, but since those two films uh, films didn't do as well, as perhaps the studios wanted from a commercial aspect, they decide, okay, uh, if we do a third film, you know, we're just and it flops. We're just going to be those guys that Steven Spielberg helps out because they're his buddies, and they don't make that great. Uh, they don't make commercially successful films. So they they strayed away from him at first, but then they went back after they got the backing from Universal Pictures. And Back to the Future was the first Universal and Amblin production. When um, we get to actually next week, we're going to actually talk about the actual movie, the, uh, the first movie. We're going to watch it, kind of give our commentary on it, dissect it um, all the way down. But um, we're going to give a little introductory course um, to some people who might not know about this film and about some of its characters. So the first person we have to start off with is the man who, who really makes this film work, and that is Marty McFly. Portrayed by Michael J. Fox, who I mentioned was a huge television star on Family Ties back in the 80s. Back in 1984 is when Michael J. Fox started to go back to the future. So let's check out this clip of Michael J. explaining how he came into this crazy world with flux capacitors, DeLoreans, and having to go 88 miles per hour. Back into the past. So here's Michael J. giving you the lowdown.
4: Well, the way that came about was um, I could go back to in, in in the middle of I guess that '84 season, whatever that was, when Cosby came on. Now of a sudden we get big numbers, and and Meredith is pregnant, and then we find out she's pregnant with twins. So then we find out we have to shut down for five weeks in the middle of production in in the fall. So. Um, so we did, and during that time, you know, I didn't think about having a film career. Like I said, I was just really happy to have family ties, and everything was fine with me. I had a shiny new car and apartment, and it was all good. Um, so, this independent film company asked me to make a werewolf movie called Teen Wolf, and I thought, well, that's funny. I can do that in four weeks, and it was a nice amount of money, and it kind of made me think of Michael Landon, and I kind of laughed. So, I'm doing that, so I'm doing the movie now during this hiatus. And we're shooting in Pasadena, and I'm, now, I'm, you know, now I'm out there and I get the stuff on my face. And I'm sitting there going, what have I done? <laughs> my career was just taking off nicely, and now I'm in Pasadena wearing a werewolf mask. And there was a, a, a company coming, scouting locations for, for a film, and so we asked them what it was for, and they said they were scouting locations for a film that Spielberg was producing called Back to the Future. And Crispin Glover was gonna be in it, who I knew who had done an episode of Family Ties, I knew for some other things. And I remember thinking, oh, see, now that would be great. If I could do that, it'd be a lot better than you know, being a werewolf. And unbeknownst to me, I didn't even know this, but Gary had already been approached by Steven and Bob Zemeckis, to let me do the movie, Back to the Future. But they, they wanted to go on in October and he couldn't let me out because it was at that time at the beginning of the show and he hadn't, he hadn't known that the, the situation was gonna happen with Meredith, so he didn't know there was gonna be that window so he had said, you know, I can't let him do it and, and and he said, you know, please don't tell Michael not that I want him to think I did something behind his back but I really had no other choice, I can't. And I totally accept that and understand that. So they cast the role and they started shooting with, with another actor, you know, with Eric Stoltz, who's a terrific actor, a really good actor. Um, but what was happening was that, you know, Eric, you know, there's a certain goofiness to it that I, that I don't think Eric was really ready to embrace. Um, Eric is talented enough to do anything that he wants to do but I just think there was a silliness to the role that that, that they'd kind of pictured me for and um, so they decided to make a change around Christmas and I had just come back from Christmas vacation and Gary called me into his office and I thought uh, he was doing Gina a pilot with Gina Davis uh, a secondary series at NBC and so I went down there he'd called me to his office down there at NBC in NBC and Burbank and I went down called me into his office and I think I'm gonna get fired. I mean, still at this point I'm thinking he's gonna can me, I don't what am I doing here? And he gave me the script for Back to the Future and he said Steven Spielberg is producing this film, Bob's and Zemeckis is directing it. Um, they want you to do it, so why don't you take it and read it and if you wanna do it, then we'll figure out how to make it work. So yeah, you know, I took the script and kind of went like this. And I love it, it's great. When do I start? So um, basically within a week I was, I was doing both jobs, and I'd do Family Ties in the daytime, and I'd do Back to the Future at night. And I was working 18, 19, 20 hours. And by the time Back to the Future came out in the summer of 85, there were whole scenes I can remember shooting, you know, because I, I was so tired during so much of it. And um, you know, weeks after weeks of, of 18, 19 hour days. But then all of a sudden, you know, it was a huge hit, and my, um, I came back, we were in England that summer. the summer of. Of eighty-five, doing um, Family Ties goes to London, which is just a debacle, and uh, and I come back from there, and I've got the number one and number two movies and the number two television show in the country, and just whatever kind of fame and recognition I, I was enjoying quite well. Thank you very much with with Family Ties. Just all of a sudden, was this whole new thing. And it was just very very strange and exciting and. So my, you know, my whole life
1: changed. What a fascinating story and what a fascinating way to um, get involved with this incredible, incredible franchise. Um, but what's interesting that uh, Michael J. Fox said was Eric Stoltz, who was an actor back in the day, he played in um, Fast Times and Ridgemont High as well as The Mask. and uh, I think he was in Pulp Fiction as well. But he was originally cast to play the iconic character, Marty McFly. Now, after several weeks of shooting, I think about six or seven weeks into production, they realized Eric Stoltz was just not working out. Um, I believe Bob Zemeckis turned to Steven Spielberg and said, we weren't getting the laughs that we wanted out of him. They cut like a whole bunch of the footage together and showed it to Steven Spielberg, and, and he agreed, yeah, I don't think he's working. So they actually fired Eric Stoltz, which you have to imagine was a really difficult thing for people who uh, were acting with Eric in the movie because seven weeks, that's almost two months of working with somebody day in and day out trying to get this, this project done and, and, and you develop a chemistry with them, whether they are, are doing their job um, up to the standards of the director and producer in their eyes, whether they're living up to that, or not you're still developing this chemistry with them and and you kind of get used to it it's familiar you know it's like that uh baseball glove that you've uh, you know played with all season and then all of a sudden they want to take that glove away from you give you a brand new one well you're not complaining that you have a brand new one but you've kind of <laughs> you've kind of got the rhythm down with that baseball glove you know how it feels you know exactly where to catch the ball so i was kind of um thinking it must have been super, super, super difficult to all of a sudden have that actor taken out of the film and having to, um, having to work around Michael J. Fox. So I thought it'd be interesting. Let's hear what Christopher Lloyd said to Sam Roberts of The Sam Roberts Show. Let's hear what he had to say about Eric Stoltz and how he felt about switching up the characters after two months of production.
2: Eric Stoltz
1: played the original Marty, That's right. and they released all that footage, I guess, in the Blu-ray and everything. Uh, did you know that that was going to have to change? I had
3: no idea. I had absolutely no idea. I was. I, I think most people didn't. You know, I mean, it was six weeks into shooting. Right. Six weeks shooting. Strange thing to do. Uh, yeah. And we were doing, we were out uh, in that industrial, uh, the city of industry, a huge mall night after night for about three weeks mm-hmm. and uh, shooting and everything seemed cool he was very good he was very good it's just that they were looking for they needed to have a comic somebody with a more comic flair you know like Michael yeah and um, so they made made the switch but uh, he wasn't like um, giving a lousy performance you know just, he, was just yeah. whatever
1: that was wasn't clicking with the character yeah
3: and, and he's a very good actor really good actor and and then uh, one, one night uh, when we broke for, for lunch, so to speak, at one o'clock in the morning, uh-huh. you know, we all had lunch, and then I said, everybody, please come over to this area over here. Uh, we have an announcement to make, and still no time. And then Spielberg was there, and other, other suits from Universal, etc., and they got up and just made the announcement they're going to make the change and it was kind of like a wake it was yeah, it wasn't anything to be cheery about
1: because you've all spent this time getting to know this kid yeah
3: and and uh it was just, it was it was sad you know yeah. and uh, and I was kind of like terrified because I thought I i I was still getting into the character it was the first the first uh film mm-hmm. of the trilogy and i was hoping I was hitting my marks, you know, so I thought, my God, I'm going to do this all over again. I don't know if I could do this
1: again. (laughs) But uh, it worked out. It all worked out uh, in the eyes of Christopher Lloyd, but another man who (laughs) worked really closely with Mr. Eric Stoltz on this project um, was the antagonist of the film, Mr. Thomas F. Wilson, the man who played Biff Tannen, um, the hated Biff Tannen, and uh, he was actually, I believe, on the Nerdist podcast a, a while back, and-, and he had something uh, interesting to say about Eric Stoltz. Let's play that, and then we'll be right back, and we'll talk more about Mr. Eric Stoltz. But let's hear what Thomas F. Wilson had to say.
0: Did you start? Did, did you so? Did you start the film with Eric Stoltz, or did that was? Oh, that a- I shot with Eric Stoltz for six or seven weeks. You I mean, did? <laughs> oh yeah, we shot for we shot almost the whole movie. I mean, we were pretty much done. We were at the point where you're looking at each other like so. You got anything lined up after this? Any uh, TV shows or whatever? And then and then um, and then things were difficult on the set. Eric was it was uh, it was not easy. Uh, he was doing a very methody thing. You know, everybody. Call me Marty. Okay. Except Leah, who's playing my mom, who I'm trying to make out with, right. you know, off camera. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> method, method, uh, yeah. method, method, uh, method, hot chick, no method. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, you know, he was doing all that stuff, and it was, it was, it was uh, kind of difficult. I didn't, and of course, this is my first big movie. I mean, before that, I was killed in a kung fu movie, and I was on the facts of life and Ryder. Right, right. So I'm on this movie, and of course, I think, oh, it's me. You know it's got to be me. Everyone is talking about uh, me behind my back or something sure, or I'm doing you could a bad job. Yeah, there was, was a tension in the something air. Something wasn't right. So then they actually uh they stopped production. We're not working today. We're not working today. Oh shit. Are they closing the movie down or whatever? And there's no, we're not closing the movie down. We're just not working today. Okay. So I'm at home. I get a phone call from Bob Gale, the producer of the movie. Mm-hmm. Hey Tom, listen. Uh could you come down to the studio? We'd like to talk to you. Oh. Shit. oh. Uh, uh, and I was totally, listen, Bob, uh, could you just tell me right now? Could you just could you tell me over the phone, man? Cause I'd really, I'd like to hear whatever you have to say right now. That'd be great. We'd really like to talk to you in person. Jesus. So if you could come down right now, uh, Bob Zemeckis and I would like to meet with you. So I take the longest drive oh, of my God. life and I'm doing all, I mean, I'm shaking and I'm saying, listen, Tom, you stay, stay cool. When they fire it, you stand up like a gentleman, like oh a gentleman, and you God. shake their hand. And you Why, thank you for the opportunity. I'm sorry it didn't work out. And then, you know, Alaskan fishing boat or whatever. <laughs> I'm going to go by that time. My dad wants me to get to law school, exactly, and we'll quit, and no one will ever see us again, and everything will be fine. So uh, I go into his office, uh, Bob Gale's office, and then Crispin comes in. So. So my the Rubik's Cube in my brain is just going crazy now, turning. So they're not stopping it. I guess I'm fine. Crispin and I are fired? That's so <laughs> fucked up they couldn't at least say, listen, you're fine, yeah. but we just need to talk to you. Right, right. So they uh, sit Crispin down and t- tell us pretty gravely, you know, listen, fellas, uh, we just want to say this thing is going fantastically. You know, you guys are spectacular. The movie is unbelievable. But bad news we've had to fire eric
3: (laughs) yeah
0: i melt like a cartoon character from my chair onto the ground and i'm just like i'm sort of laughing and and just but i i kind of saved it to kind of go hey is he okay because you know i am so um yeah, so Eric was fired, and they said we, we've got this guy, um, Michael J. Fox, who's on a TV show, Family Ties, and uh, and he's going to come on and and redo all those parts of the movie. Wow! Did you have to reshoot everything, or did they keep stuff from the original? Like, other there levels? is uh, this is a, this is a good. Uh, there's a big argument. I think because I think they would have to pay Eric Stoltz. I think I, it's my belief that Eric Stoltz's fist punches me in the fifties cafe. Because I do not think that we reshot that because it was a close-up of me. Now, the editors and everyone out there who, who I think are interested in their skins or whatever, go, no, that's, that's not true. Right. Alex <laughs> still never appears in the movie. <laughs> and I'm just like, look. I get punched in the face by somebody. I guess you want to sell it as it being a stuntman. But uh, I think it was Eric Stoltz, and I think his fist comes through and punches I'm sure me. sure like in 84, 85, they're like, what, are people going to have machines where they can just freeze-frame things with right. perfect clarity? <laughs> ne- no one's ever going to know. Look at that freckly fist. Yeah. I, so saw, I saw some of the – oh, sorry. Go ahead, no, Tom. No, you go. I was just going to say I saw some of the footage of Eric Stoltz um yeah, you know I, blu-ray. they, they put like it on the blu-ray of you it. knew they were going to cuz they're saying no one will ever see this yeah, yeah, this, yeah. this all this footage is going to be stored right next to the lost ark i mean <laughs> it's going to and i'm like they're going to as soon as they can make money off it you know bingo, you're he direct. he basically it looked like he was playing and they think they even alluded to or they may have just said you know he was playing it a little more uh a little darker yeah. and a little more like not as fun and you know do you remember anything about his performance? It was a very different thing. A very different thing. Like too serious? <laughs> what, what do you want me to say? I think, uh, I think it was bad, and, uh, you know, you and yeah. I, he wasn't uh, friendly to me. So I
3: don't
0: care. <laughs> uh, he was, I mean, Eric got fired a couple days before he was just going to get his head pounded in because in the scene in the cafeteria where he's pushing me and Strickland comes up. Yeah, like Ted. Hey, Ted, and I'm almost punching him in the face. He was pushing me so hard with his whole method thing. The method was very strong toward me, right? You know? So, because you're the you're the antagonist, of course. So he was. I mean, he was driving the heels of his hands hard into my collarbones. Mm-hmm. I mean, really pushing me. And uh, and I'm talking to between takes, you know, early takes. Hey, uh, hey, uh, Marty. Quote, you're just really i mean it's a it's a it's a movie you know we could just pretend we take this. i mean i will i will move back if you push me like i'm jutting back right so we'll be cool but just like you are really you're gonna break my collarbone man and he pretends he really doesn't hear me because i'm not in the scene with him at that point point. and take two bam! It's my collarbones and i'm starting uh pardon me eric this is a movie Oh, it's only shit. in pretend times when you're getting paid that you can push me like that, and I don't punch you right in the face. <laughs> so, you know, let's uh, chill out. Bam, I had huge bruises on my chest, and my collarbones were killing me. So, you got like so many method actors like myself, I was like, well, live by the method, die by the method. In a couple of nights, I'm pulling you out of that car at the dance, and we're going to see what happens then. <laughs> <laughs> because we're gonna totally method this thing, out, baby. Yeah. So, um. So, and then he got
1: fired. So, I never, uh, I never got to uh do, you, to do anything. Do you and wish?
0: Do you think about it sometimes?
1: So, uh, interesting words from Mister Thomas F. Wilson about working with Eric Stoltz on Back to the Future. Uh, they didn't seem like they got along too well, and it seemed Eric Stoltz just wasn't the right fit. You know, he seemed like to play the character a bit more darker. A um. <sighs> a bit more serious, Um, like you almost would play. You know, if you think about it, you can't fault the man for playing it that way. You're playing a kid who goes back to the future. I mean, goes back to the past, 1955. He's meeting his parents at his teenage age of 17, 18, however old he is. You'd be freaked out. You would not be laughy-jokey if you played it serious. But this is a movie. You're supposed to. It's a comedy um a sci-fi action adventure comedy um and you need to play it a little more light or you could go too dark and and the movie's not fun and the, this is a really fun film it's written to be fun it has zingers it has the one-liners it has the jokes it has the things that pay off to make you laugh and you can't be so serious you can't be Daniel Day-Lewis in my opinion on this set and you're you're trying to be a method actor, and and not, and not I'm not knocking method acting or Eric Stoltz, but I'm saying just for this particular film, if you're playing Lincoln, go right ahead and be a method actor. But if you're playing Marty McFly, a fictional character in a fictional situation that would never happen in real life, you don't have to be a method actor. You don't have to play it so real. Play it kind of fun and light and jokey, but have your moments to where you're like, whoa, is this happening to me? That's how I feel in my opinion. And uh, I, I believe that's why Eric Stoltz just didn't work out as Marty McFly. And, and you know, in retrospect, I'm kind of glad that Eric Stoltz didn't get the movie because we wouldn't have had the film that we ended up getting. Michael J. Fox made a lot of this movie. He made it um, without him, you know, this uh, without Marty portrayed by Michael J. Fox and without Dr. Brown portrayed by... Christopher Lloyd, I don't think you have a movie here. um we come to find out that Dr. Brown was a scientist or is a scientist who invented a time machine out of a delorean delore Delorean motor car, and he invented time travel on November the fifth nineteen fifty five when he fell off his toilet, bumped his head, and invented the flux capacitor. But uh the interesting thing about Christopher Lloyd was he was originally given the script and they he looked over it and he realized uh, you know he wanted to go over to New York and do some Broadway and do a play and he really didn't think that Back to the Future was something that he wanted to do. So he actually threw the according to Jeffrey Wiseman who um portrayed George McFly in Back to the Future parts 2 and 3 who's going to be a guest here on the show in the coming weeks, he actually threw the script away in the trash. And it was his girlfriend at the time who took it out of the trash. And then later on, you know, a few weeks go by, and he goes, she goes, you know, you really need to check out this movie. I think it's going to be good. So he ends up doing it, calls, you know, Bob Gale and Zemeckis back, and lo and behold, he gets the part as Dr. Emmett L. Brown, and really, he's the only man that you can think about retrospectively. Thinking, I mean, there is nobody, there's no actor in in Hollywood, past, present, or future—no pun intended—that could do a, a, as incredible of a job as Christopher Lloyd did as Dr. M. L. Brown. And it's funny. Um, like I said, he had no interest, but lo and behold, he gets he gets the um, he gets the part. And what I love about Dr. Emmett Brown and kind of what they said was, um, you know, Christopher Lloyd describes him as he's constantly in crisis, which I just love that phrase. He's constantly in crisis and there are no jokes. He doesn't say any jokes, even though this movie is kind of a comedy, a sci-fi action adventure comedy um, or adventure comedy. There are no, and Christopher Lloyd has some funny lines, but everything to him is serious. So he's not selling it as a joke. He's selling it completely seriously, and that's why these jokes work, and he's all over the place. And they actually said when they were filming this movie, you know, they, they, they had a hard time predicting where he would go because he wouldn't give you the full performance unless the red light was on. So, I mean, sometimes they would just roll camera during rehearsal so they could kind of get an idea of what he wanted to do. So, I mean, Christopher Lloyd brought so much life to this film. He was the perfect uh, partner for, for Michael J. Fox, for the Marty McFly character, because um, it was just so interesting, the relationship between those two and how they played off one another. And, and the biggest challenge you have to think about for Doc Brown is – He has this unbelievable chemistry with Michael J. Fox and Marty McFly in 1985, and they're best friends. And then when he goes, when Marty goes back in time to 55, he has no idea who he is, and he has to play it like he has no idea who it is. So it's, I mean, really a fantastic acting job from Christopher Lloyd portraying Dr. Emmett L. Brown. Back when these uh, films were released on uh, Blu-ray, you know, they did the press, the cast kind of did the press tour, and they were on the Today Show with Meredith Vieira, and she asked Christopher Lloyd, you know, did you have any idea what you were on to? And uh, let's take a listen to what Christopher Lloyd said.
2: Twenty-five years, can you believe it?
1: No, it's...
3: Uh, uh, well, Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but at the time, though, Chris, did you know when you're making this film, this is going to be something? I'm I'm on to something.
3: No, it's just day to day. You know, hoping uh, know if it worked out. I don't think I didn't s- sniff, uh, you know, that this success was the works.
1: Yeah. yeah. How modest, <laughs> how modest of Christopher Lloyd. The man didn't even realize how an incredible... Um, This film that he was making was, as he was making it, he was just there trying to give his best performance, doing his job well, very well, and lo and behold, we have this movie that 30 years later, (laughs) I'm doing a podcast about, and all these other projects are are going on about it, and these, these films, people still are in love with them, and they can't get enough of Back to the Future, so... With that being said, I know we have a whole cast of characters to get to, but we're not going to do it here on the kickoff show. We're going to do that next week when we dissect Back to the Future Part One in full. We're gonna, we're gonna, I'm going to talk about everything in this movie: the cast, the characters, the scenes, the setting, the time periods, time travel, the DeLorean, Marty, Doc, Biff, uh, Lorraine, George, all kinds of things. We're going to talk about Darth Vader, even if you know what I'm saying. In Back to the Future, the movie, the first movie, part one. So I hope you've enjoyed the uh, kickoff edition of Back to the Future, the podcast. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe us, to us on iTunes. And check us out at backtothefuturepod.com. And uh, we're going to have new episodes every week for as long as I can pr- uh, create new content for the show. We're going to be doing these kickoff episodes before every movie. I have special guest interviews with people who are involved in the making of, of this movie, 2, 3, People who worked behind the scenes on the films. Uh, we're gonna talk to people who have projects that spurred off Back to the Future, such as books, documentaries, and more. Um, I'm even gonna be talking about the books that were written of Back to the Future, the actual novels. I'm holding a novel in my hand, uh, Back to the Future, a novel by George Gipe, and we're gonna. We're, I'm gonna read these. I'm gonna review these. Who knows how much how much different they are from the actual films. We're going to talk about the Back to the Future video game. We're going to talk about Back to the Future, the cartoon series. Back to the Future, the ride. We're going to talk about it all here on Back to the Future, the podcast. I hope you enjoy this kickoff episode, and we're going to get to Back to the Future Part 1 next week. So until then, I'm Brad Gilmore, your friend in time. Brad Gilmore show On Demand is meant for entertainment purposes only and does not mean to infringe on any copyrights of Back to the Future, its characters, its audio clips, or its music. Hope to see you again in the future. Oh, Oh Brad, what what have you done done now?
0: Oh, Oh Brad, what have you done now? Pulling up to Mickey D's Just for Drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks, then there are drinks from McDonald's.
1: Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary, cannot be combined with any other offer.
0: Ba da ba ba ba.
2: Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket?